If you would please turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter four. We will begin in first Peter chapter four, verse twelve. And so this is how we're going to proceed. We're going to break up first. Peter chapter 4, 12 through 5, uh, verse 11, assuming we have time. We're going to break this up into three pieces in each section. Uh, and we're going to have one other surprise text in there. Uh, in each section, what we're going to do is discuss, you're going to discuss as a group, and then we will all discuss as a group, okay? So we will practice essentially reading, pulling ideas out, and discussing very if you just read the scriptures and you don't think about the ideas and try to pull out the lesson to what it's trying to say, it's questionable if you're getting anything out of it. So it is good to practice. So we will start in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12, and go to 19. I will read them. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as if something strange were happening to you. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. Let, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And it begins with us. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will be the outcome of the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. As a group, discuss that text pull out the major ideas, and we will talk together as a group in about four to five minutes. Go ahead. What are the major ideas in that passage? The righteous are Thank you. 
Let's discuss. Seems like the back group is having the most fun based on the noise. All right. What are the main ideas? What are the anybody, what are the main ideas? Summarize for me. Don't be surprised to suffer as a Christian. Don't be surprised to suffer as a Christian, okay? It's not strange. Suffer for the right reasons, right? There are bad reasons to suffer. Okay. Suffering for good, not evil. All right. Suffering for God is worthwhile. 
Absolutely. God is faithful. Don't be surprised. Expect it. It's going to happen. Okay? Um, there's a transition to sort of an ominous note. All right? What is that? Yeah. I mean, that ominous note you mentioned is time of judgment the household of God. Okay. I'm going to tell you a falsehood. All right? And I want you to tell me why I'm wrong. All right? If you're obedient to God, you will be blessed by God, all right? And you will not have to worry about life's troubles, all right? Because that's what God does for his people. So if you're having issues right now, it's because you sinned. Well, that's just total heresy. That's just total heresy. Okay. Why from this text is that wrong? not strange that actually bad things should happen, that there be persecution. It's not strange. It's actually, in other words, normal for something like that to happen. Right? So yes, that kind of notion, which is common among some groups, is, is heresy. is most certainly wrong. And the response of that is to rejoice in this. All right? You don't rejoice in, you, you don't rejoice in, in a punishment of God, except in the sense that it might put you back on track. No, this is rejoicing, all right, because God will bless you in these things. Now, look in your Bibles to see if there's um, a footnote on that, that ominous note where it says, it is time for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, verse 17. Does that, is there a footnote that points you to anywhere? Isaiah 10:12. All right, where else? Anyone have another spot? Okay. Looking for Old Testament. Isaiah 10, 12. Malachi 3, Isaiah 10, 12. Malachi 3, Isaiah 10, 12. Proverbs, 11. Proverbs 11. Well, yeah, that'll, that'll definitely be the proverb there. Does no one have Ezekiel 8 and 9 in their footnotes? Luke 10, Ezekiel. Okay, if you would turn to Ezekiel 8. And we will, you can bookmark, we're coming back. Ezekiel 8. chapter 8, I think this is a, uh, a very, you know, where does Peter get his ideas? All right. Some of Peter's ideas, I'm sure, came from Revelation directly from God. Some of Peter's ideas came from Revelation directly from God in Jesus' lifetime. Right? Jesus tells him things. All right? uh, some of his ideas all right, would obviously come from the Old Testament. Uh, yes, some from Sunday school. Uh, let's read Ezekiel chapter 8. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord God fell upon me. This is Ezekiel. Where is Ezekiel? Trick question. Not really a trick question, but where is Ezekiel? Does anybody know? You might think he's got the elders of Judah around him. He must be in Judah. He is in Babylon. Ezekiel is in Babylon in exile. 
as, with, as are a number of the leaders of Judah. Then I looked, and behold, a form that had the appearance of a man. All right, so he went, 587, the temple was destroyed. Ezekiel and some, some of the Judeans were taken into exile before that. And so he is actually before the destruction of Jerusalem um, in 587, having a vision. Then I looked, and behold, a man, uh, a form that had the appearance of a man. Below what appeared to be his waist was fire, and above his waist was something like the appearance of his brightness, like gleaming metal. He put out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head, and the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem. Right? So he's in Babylon, he has a vision, and is brought to Jerusalem. To the entrance of the gateway of the inner court that faces north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. Behold, the glory of God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the valley. Then he said to me, Son of man, lift up your eyes toward the north. So I lifted up my eyes toward the north, and behold, north of the altar gate in the entrance was this image of jealousy. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations the house of Israel are committing here to drive me far from my sanctuary, but you will still see, excuse me, but you will see still greater abominations. So there was an idol set up in one of the north gates of the temple. And he brought me to the entrance of the court. So I think he's this one. He's actually going north, going away from the inner sanctuary. To the entrance of the court, when I looked, behold, there was a hole in the wall. And then he said to me, son of man, dig in the wall. So I dug in the wall, and behold, there was an entrance. And he said to me, go in and see the vile abominations that they are committing there. So I went in and saw, and there engraved on the wall all around was every form of creeping things and loathsome beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel. And before them stood 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel, with Jazaniah the son of Shaphan standing among them. Each had his censer in his hand, and the smoke of the cloud of incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark? each in his room of pictures? For they say, Yahweh does not see us. Yahweh has forsaken the land. He said also to me, you will, still, you will see still greater abominations that they commit. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of Yahweh, and behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? You will see still greater abominations than these. And he brought me into the inner court of the house of Yahweh. So now he's going back inside. And behold, at the entrance of the temple of Yahweh, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs to the temple of Yahweh and their faces towards the east, worshiping the sun towards the east. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abominations that they commit here? that they should fill the land with violence and provoke me still further to anger? Behold, they put the branch to their nose, therefore I will act in wrath. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. So we've got multiple images, not of just the common people, but 
the leaders and the elders of Israel committing various abominations. Chapter 9. Then he cried in my ears with a loud voice saying, Bring near the executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his weapon for slaughter in his hand. And with them was a man clothed in linen with a writing case at his waist. They went in and stood beside the bronze altar. This image is reused in Revelation as well in talking about the judgment there. Now the glory of God of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold of the house. That's a problem. This is God leaving his dwelling place in the middle of the temple on his way out. And he called to the man clothed in linen who had the writing case at his waist. And Yahweh said to him, pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. So who's he marking? What's that? The faithful. He's marking the faithful. And to the others, he said in my hearing, pass through the city after him and strike. Your eye shall not spare, and you shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one on whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the house. Then he said to them, defile the house. Fill the courts with the slain. Go out. And so they went out and struck in the city. And while they were striking, and I was left alone, I fell upon my face and cried, Ah, Lord God, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel and the outpouring of your wrath on Jerusalem? Then he said to me, the guilt of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great. The land is full of blood and the city is full of injustice. For they say Yahweh has forsaken the land and Yahweh does not see. As for me, I, I will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will bring their deeds upon their heads. Behold, the man clothed in linen with the writing case at his waist brought back word saying, I have done as you commanded me. And so he has gone through and marked and the the slaughter has happened, essentially, at this point. And so this is Ezekiel having a vision of the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem, right? And so this is often pointed out is, you know, what's, what's the theological point you draw from this if you're Peter? Where does the judgment begin? It begins at the sanctuary, the sanctuary that is supposed to be the light, all right, that everybody looks to. That is where the guilt is the greatest. And so therefore, if the, if the house is corrupted, that's where it needs to happen. And that's where it needs to start. And that's where it starts there. You may uh, go back to uh, 1 Peter. So if this is not a light thing, if you read the Old Testament, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So, and if you think about Ezekiel, this makes sense as the next exhortation, 
All right? So we're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then you will discuss. All right? 5.1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I want you to spend about five minutes and answer these two questions for me as a group. One, uh, I want you to be able to explain what, are, what did the exhortations to the elders mean? All right, there's three exhortations. All right, primarily three exhortations there. What do they mean? And then finally, what is the meaning of the exhortation? How do you apply the, the exhortation to the others? Because there's two groups, elders and the younger. All right? So take five minutes and discuss. I'm going to call that one a coincidence. Thank <laughs> you. 
All right, it's been three and a half minutes. Uh, you should probably switch to talking about the second part soon. What are the who are younger to do? You all ready? The others. There's two groups. Yep, there's elders and. Okay, what are our exhortations to our elders? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Okay, what does that mean? Okay. Exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly. What does that mean? It's also protection. It is, it is an, an act of protecting. So there's a positive aspect. Protect, feed. What else? To do it willingly and not for... Okay. Let's talk about the negative. All right. Now, before we go to the second one, all right, make sure we say it's doing it willingly. Why would you need to say that? Why would you need to give that instruction to, to Bill and Edward? You don't want them to do it for personal gain, all right? Now, before we get to that real quick, I'm going to say something, all right? Have you, and I know, I bet all of you have done this, all right? You get this opportunity to volunteer to help with something and to do something, and you're like, I want to do this thing. I'm going to sign up for this, to do this volunteer work. I'm going to sign up for this 15-week course, all right? You get into it. And after a while, you're like, I really wish I would not have signed up to do that <laughs> thing because now I feel like I have to do it. All right? This happens, I think, to everyone who regularly has to do something. 
all right? This is a potential problem at this church, all right? For Mike and Michael, this is a potential problem for me, Bill, and Edward, because we all have weekly duties, all right, that we do here. Everyone else who has weekly duties as well, this could be a burden to you, taking the offerings out. Everything that is done within the church, if you sign up to do it, can be a burden. And this is something that we should pray for those who have weekly responsibilities, all right? That it not be, because it is, all right? It happens. You're like, I'm just not feeling it this week. <laughs> you know what? I'm just not feeling it. Or work is super busy, all right? It happens, all right? And so when, when this happens to all of us, all right, when this happens to you, in your parenting as well, and all the good things that you do to sign up to help, stop, pray, and think about this, all right? We all should be regularly finding ways to contribute to the church, all right? In whatever ways you can. Maybe this is a dedication to pray for the church every day. Make that dedication, and then two weeks later, you'll be like, I'm not feeling it today, <laughs> all right? And you should do it anyway, but you should think about this and go, how do I change my heart from doing this out of compulsion and now to willingly? Okay. Now let's talk about what Drew mentioned. All right. Not for shameful gain. What would this be in the context of, of being an elder? What, what does that even mean, shameful gain? Indulgences. Could be for status. If you're, you know, if you want to go back to history, indulgences, sure. But right, this would be a good, this would be a, a good verse to use during the Reformation to talk about, wait a minute, are you through the act of indulgences trying to create shameful gain? Legit. Yeah. I once knew somebody who used the pulpit as a platform for his online ministries and to sell books. That would be an example. Now, it's not wrong to sell books and have other ministries, but a lot of it's how you do it, and it's your heart, right? All right. But legit issue. Right? People will, all right, use the, the pulpit, will use church leadership as a way of just making money, all right? Um, we actually have examples in the New Testament. Remember Simon Magus, right? He's like, Ooh, give me that power, all right? Because he was used to selling things, and no, all right? And so it's a legit thing because we're human, we're fallen, we have temptations to greed, all right? Yes, Bill? I think also the, the whole pastor circuit that exists yeah. where they'll start a small church and as soon as they get a little bit of, uh, you know, experience and... I've done that as a programmer. I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> Not, it's a business model. I don't feel bad about it at all. Not 
how the church is supposed to function. Somebody over here raised their hand, I think. Chapter division is definitely artificial. Right? Mm-hmm. That probably indicates that another big function is comfort. Yeah, I think that one of their jobs is to comfort others when they're having issues. Hundred percent. I think that the emphasis there is shameful games. Right. It is not wrong to pay your elders. That is biblically easy to defend, right? It's shameful gain. Elders are also not to be what? There's a negative admonition at the end. Domineering, controlling, all right? Does this ever happen? Absolutely happens, right? It's when you're in a place of authority in a company, all right, it's easy to be domineering sometimes, all right? In the church, that's a place of authority as an elder, all right? And then you can twist biblical ideas and really dominate people with guilt, all right? And supposed authority is wrong, all right? That's what he's talking about. Peter knows this can happen, all right? This has happened many times in history. Elders need to avoid that, all right? They are to lead. That is not the same thing as being domineering, all right? It is their job to lead and protect. It is not the same thing as domineering. Certainly something to be avoided. Now, next thing, what's everyone else supposed to do? Be deferential, submit to one another, and submit to the elders and to God, all right? Now, there's an... Something that's not spoken here, all right, but I think must be assumed, all right, which is if an elder is doing wrong and asking someone to do wrong, you do not submit to that, all right? If we go back to Ezekiel, all right, if an elder worships an idol, you do not worship that idol. As a matter of fact, it's only the ones that didn't that were marked to not be destroyed in that, in that vision, all right? And so based on the Old Testament, even though it's not said here clearly, if you were ever under a spiritual authority and they tell you to do something wrong, all right, the answer is no, all right? Do not listen to their spiritual authority. Now, if they're just making a simple mistake, they're making a simple mistake. Okay, if they're sinning and trying to be domineering, trying to go for shameful gain, then that's a major problem. Yeah. Yes. It's important for the church to be like the Bereans. Study, think, make sure that you understand what is right and good for the elders and the church to be doing. The authority of Scripture overrides the authority. What's that? The authority of Scripture overrides all of their authority. It does. And your elders and your teachers will be wrong. All right? They will be wrong. Regardless, we're all wrong. All right? That's why we need to study, all right? Scripture overrides Bill. Scripture overrides me. 
Amen. Amen. Last paragraph, and then we will end. Verse 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to, to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will establish, will, um, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Discuss. Three and a half minutes. And then we will discuss as a group. What does this mean? What are the main points? Draw them out. And then we will mention them. And then we will be dismissed. Three and a half minutes. Main points.
<laughs> All right, what are the main ideas? Warning about evil. What kind of evil? The bad kind. The bad kind. Okay. No good kind of evil. All right. So, warning a, from about a specific adversary. All right. The devil. Okay. What else? You're not alone. So, what are you supposed to do to fight this off? Because this is a problem. If there is a spiritual being coming after you, it's a problem potentially. What do you do? You humble, uh huh. You humble. What else? Know who's stronger. Know who's stronger. Okay. What else? If you feel like you're under attack, ask a brother to, to help you. Talk to them. Pray for them. Is that here? Yes. I totally get the may not become may not be helpful in the moment, but it is something that still should be said, for sure. He will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Yes. And that helps us be more empathetic to them, maybe. Yeah. Yes. Comfort other comfort others with the comfort that you have been comforted with. I don't remember. Yeah. Amen. Even this life is momentary, ultimately. Yeah. In the King James, the, the last two words in verse 10 are settled. Which, if you grew up in the South, I can't remember my parents said, settle down. Yeah. Because you would get spun up about something and say, settle down. Yeah. It calms you. Yeah, totally. So there's exhortations for us. is exhortations to the elders, exhortations for everyone else, all right? Pray for your elders so that they do not feel like they are serving under compulsion ever. And then they are not greedy for or eager for greedy gain, all right? That they do not become domineering. And they should pray for you and you should pray for each other to be humble. Not only, not only to, to them, but also to God. Because if you are humble, then God ultimately will 
exalt you and helpful and help you. Be sober. Be watchful. All right. That's something else in that last paragraph. Be sober. Be watchful. Have faith, because that is, according to James, how you resist the devil. And notice how all of these things actually go together. All right. This. How does this paragraph connect to the previous paragraph? It ended with humility. This one starts with humility. Clear connection. But you can also see the thread that connects this to the paragraph two before, because the paragraph two before was about suffering. All right. So all of these things are ultimately connected. So think about all those things this week. All right. And if you are suffering, if you are struggling with something, by all means, you're surrounded by people you can talk with. Talk with. Yes, Bill. Cast all your anxieties on him. Do not be anxious for anything, but at everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Philippians 4.6, or as Jesus said, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This week, study the scriptures. Think about them, ponder them, apply them. Right, let's be let's be dismissed. Um, Tim Weber, will you please pray for us?